It is so good, and it is so true. Um, so I'm glad you guys are here. My name is Dan. 
Uh, I am the, yeah, go ahead and have a seat. Yeah, I knew that last, uh, at 9 o'clock, everyone stood there like, weren't sure what to do, so thank you for that. I kind of enjoyed it. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm so glad you guys are here. Yeah, I'm Dan. I'm the pastor of uh, Middle School Ministries here at Westgate. And yeah, thank you. Uh, super pumped that you guys are here this morning to worship with us. Uh, just a few things before we continue in our worship. Um, as you walked in, hopefully that you saw uh, the sermon notes on the table. Um, that's just a little pamphlet. It's going to help you walk through the service with us, um, which it's your guys' treat that I get to preach this morning. So you get to see what we're going to go into, all right? Um, just kidding. No, humble me, Lord. Um, and so that's uh, at the tables. You can get that to walk through. Um, also our Connect card. And if you're this is your first time here, or if you've been here a million times, that Connect card is for you. Um, it's ways for us as Westgate Chapel to stay connected to you, but also a great way for you guys to get connected to Westgate. Um, and so if you're new, go ahead and fill it out. You can drop it off, and there's like a little bucket back there, or you can take it to our guest center, which is like you go out these doors, and like you keep walking, you walk right into it, and a smiling face will greet you and answer any questions that you have. Um, and so, yeah, I would encourage you to do that. Just, it's a great way to get connected. Um, and if not, that's okay. Just be here and worship with us. We love that you're here too. Um, and I think that's all I got. And so real quick, look up to the screen. Good morning and welcome to Westgate Chapel. We are so glad you chose to worship with us today. My name is Adam Juss and I'm the adult ministries pastor here at Westgate. Thank you for joining us. Here are a few of the important things we would like to highlight for you this week. Are you interested in exploring the Word of God while building connections with others? You're invited to check out our communities. These weekly large group gatherings provide a welcoming space for questions, discussions, and personal growth. You'll discover a place where faith is nurtured and deepened. Join us on Sunday mornings at either 9 in the chapel or at 1045 in room 221. Come and experience communities and take the next step in deepening your relationship with Jesus and with others. Maintaining regular Sunday rhythms during the summer season can be challenging, as vacations and family events often pull us away from attending church. Fortunately, our Westgate app provides the perfect solution. Did you know that you can easily catch our live stream from anywhere this summer? Just tap the Sundays tab and select live stream. Our service is available every Sunday at 1045. Missed a sermon? No problem. Simply tap the Sundays tab, scroll down and select media. You can choose to watch any of our archived live stream services or listen to a podcast of any sermon you may have missed. The Westgate app is your go-to tool for staying connected during the busy summer season. It's also the best way to stay connected year-round. Make it your first place to check for upcoming events, announcements, and updates. Thank you again so much for worshiping with us this morning. Now we'd like to invite you to stand up and greet the people around you.
pretty sure some of you are like me and could do this all morning long. Um, but as you are headed back to your seats, I want to read some, um, some scripture verses. And I have a pop quiz for you. And that is, um, those, see, those, those introverts are already listening. They're going to get a head start. So uh, we're looking for the word that repeats. That's what you're listening for, okay? So which word um, shows up the most? So Genesis 39, 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Then in Exodus um, chapter 34, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Deuteronomy, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And on and on through the, the, the uh, Old Testament, even in Job, you have granted me life and steadfast love, and your care has preserved my spirit. And then in Psalms, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. So, um, what was the word? Steadfast love. Over and over, two words. Two words. Um, in Hebrew, in my defense, in Hebrew, it's actually one word, and it's hesed. And um, it's such an interesting word that in English, it can't actually be translated. It's, it's too big of a word because it's tied to the character of God. Some translations use goodness, mercy, loving kindness. But I loved, as I was reading, I kept seeing it over and over. Do you know it shows up 247 times in the Old Testament? And, and I just, I um, did kind of a deep dive into it and realized that was the covenant love that God had for his chosen people. And it shows his loyalty, um, his character. And, and it wasn't dependent on anything that his children did. It's not dependent on what we do. It's all who he is, the fullness of who he is. And then in the New Testament, that love is embodied through Jesus and the fact that he came and gave his life for us. It just makes me wonder if, if our brains will ever truly comprehend the depth of his said love, his steadfast love for us. So as we continue in worship this morning, I just pray that you can just try to even begin to wrap your mind about that around who he is.
morning, Father. We give you praise for you are worthy. You're worthy of it all, God. That's why we are here. It's why we exist, is to bring you glory. God, anything else that we do other than bring you glory, God, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's useless. We are here to draw close to you. We are here to be loved by you, God, and to love you. So God, teach us what it means to be led by you, to be led by your spirit, Father. There's no other way to be led. As one body, God, we cry out to you in desperation. And your people are here to worship you. Your people are here ready to worship you and to, to be changed by you. God, we expect to be changed by you this morning, Lord. And I pray that you would just instill that desire in every person's heart here. Even, God, for those that, that came here maybe with a very distracted morning, maybe with lots of stuff going on in their lives, God. I'm sure there are lots of people in here like that, God for all of us. We're here to be changed by you, God. Just instill a desire in us right now to draw closer to you. It's in the precious name of Jesus that all God's people pray. Amen. As we continue to worship this morning, um, please take those buckets and begin to pass them down in the middle um, so as, we, as we take this morning's offering. church again how we doing that was pretty good way better than nine o'clock let's do it one more time how we doing yeah beautiful it's it's 11 16 we are awake it's not nine no more let's go um, but uh, in case you missed it if you're outside gabbing or whatever uh, my name is Dan uh, and I'm the pastor of middle school ministry here at Westgate Chapel and I have the great honor and privilege of being up here in front of you to deliver God's word. Um, and so as I do that, something I've been trying to do this week actually is when I go into my quiet time and just trying to understand and wrap my mind around and go into this moment of like it being a holy moment with God, right? Not just like me reading a book, uh, me reading something that gives good advice, good ideas, good thoughts, has a couple cool stories, has a really good main character. It's like this moment that I, I get to dive in and God's words, he's trying to speak to me, right? 
And so I feel like when you go into it that way, that definitely changes your perspective and, and where you're at in those moments. And so this morning, as it's already been a holy time of us worshiping and praising God, I want to continue in that as we open up his words and try to hear him speak to us this morning. So if you will, I'm, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray over you and over myself and over this time that we have um, to hear from God. So will you join me? Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you. Thank you for everything. Thank you for the, the ability to be here this morning. Lord, that we have a second place to meet as a church. Like, we have multiple places where we can go and worship you together, Lord. How amazing is that? What an honor that is. May we not take that for granted. Holy Spirit, I pray for your people this morning. I pray for their hearts and their souls and their minds that as we are here, they will be here. Those, those things in themselves will be here and they'll be focused on you so they can hear your words. So that your words can, can infiltrate their minds and seep into their hearts and change their life. And Holy Spirit, I pray for myself. Give me the right words to say. Keep me from saying things that I shouldn't say. And God, remind me that this is all about you and it's not about Dan. All the glory and praise goes to you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay. All right. So, for those of you who have stuck with us this summer, we are in what book of the Bible? Mark. Oh, we got, I love it. Nine o'clock took him a while to, to answer me. Um, but so cool. We're in Mark, right? Mark chapter 12. Um, and we have been, go, we've had two parts so far. Um, does anyone remember the first part? Who do you say I am? There we go, from the back. I love it. That took a while as well, uh, last service. But who do you say I am was the first part we're in. We're, we're looking through who Jesus was, right? Who does Mark explain describing him to be, okay? And now we're in this next part called Jesus as the servant king, okay? And, and if you're like me, sometimes like we struggle to see Jesus as the, the servant king, Right, And there's, Jesus has a lot of different, he has the servant part of him and the king part of him. And it's kind of hard to see him as this meek, humble, like kind of guy sometimes. Especially to the, to the, the disciples, right? They, they wanted a conquering king. They wanted a guy that was going to come in and overthrow Rome. But as we saw last week, he came in to Jerusalem on a donkey. Okay, he, he came with his... 12, not an army. And he came with a plan to die, not to conquer. At least not conquer the way that the Jewish people expected or wanted him to conquer, right? And so we see him come in, in this much different way than they have wanted him or expected him to be. And so this morning, we're going to be walking into chapter 12. And in your sermon notes, uh, it kind of gives away what we're going to be looking at today, uh, the greatest commandment, okay? But we're going we're gonna to save that for the end. We've got a lot to go through before I think we can get to the greatest commandment because I think everything that happens before that sets up that moment, 
that he has with those people. Um, and actually makes that statement from Jesus even more amazing, mind-blowing, and powerful. Okay? And so, we are going to jump into chapter 12. Uh, so if you have your book, I mean, not your book, your Bible, um, your phone, uh, whatever you got, separate sheets of paper, I don't know, open up to Mark. And uh, we're going to be going through almost all of it, Mark chapter 12. And so this morning, you're going to hear a lot of God's words, which means less of Dan's words. So good for you guys. <clears throat> Much better for all of us. Okay. Is everyone ready? Is everyone ready? Awesome. Let's go. All right. He then began to speak to them in parables. Actually, first, before I start, um, before chapter 12 starts, um, in just in chapter 11, right before this moment, the, the religious leaders come to him, the elders, like all these guys come to him and ask him, like, by what authority are you teaching? Right? Like, by whose authority are you, are you saying these things and doing these things? They want to know because it's like messing everything up. All right? And Jesus, as he does amazingly, beautifully, is he, he turns a question on them, right? And he says, um, he brings up John, John the Baptist, and the baptism, whether it's from heaven or whether it was from man, and, and I'm not going to get into all that, but essentially he says with the question to be like, either answer they give, they're going to be kind of going to make somebody upset, okay? And so they're like, well, well, we don't know. We're not sure. And then Jesus is like, all right, well, then I'm not going to tell you about what authority I'm doing these things. Kind of a hardcore moment, right? And this is kind of the thing where I'm like, Jesus comes in as servant king, right? But we also see that king part. And we're going to see that king boldness and confidence in Mark 12. Okay, because he is loving and merciful and caring and meek and humble. But we see that he is a king. And he is standing in front of these men, standing his ground. Not backing down. Okay? And so on the heels of them, like, be like By whose authority you got here? He, he's like, well, let me tell you a parable, okay? Let me, let, me, let me show you guys something here, all right? And so now, chapter 12, he then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They, they, uh, struck him, they struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent, last of, he sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read the scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And then they looked for a way to arrest him, because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and they went away. And so, just real quick, like, recap. Last week, what was, like, the picture that Steve, like, what did he use, like, for, like, the, the main focal point of his message? A fig tree, yes. 
right? He used the fig tree, um, and it was beautiful. This whole week I've been trying to be like, Jesus, may I bear juicy, voluptuous figs so I can, like, follow you great. Like, I want to follow you, Jesus, so well. Like, that's the fruit that I'm bearing, not, you know, withered, gross, rotten ones that looked absolutely disgusting. Um, And so we see that in the Old Testament, fig trees were used to describe um, the heart's of the Israelite people, like how they were doing with God. If they were thriving, if they were producing fruit, man, they were, they were, on, they were on it. They were following God. They were obeying God. If they were disobeying, if they were wayward, if, if they were worshiping other gods, right, they were withered, they were rotten, um, they were not doing well. They were not producing fruit. Okay? And so Jesus is saying the same thing here in Mark 12, 1 through 12. Okay, and actually he is, he is quoting Isaiah, um, Isaiah 5, verses 1 through 7. He talks about a vineyard um, and, and how like, they're, they're not doing well. So Jesus takes his words and puts it here and, and points it at the religious leaders. Okay, and then actually we see it in um, uh, Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. We see it in Psalm 80, 8 through 9, Jeremiah 20, 21, right? Like the Israelites being compared to a vineyard. All right, and Jesus is bringing this into the New Testament. And what we see him do is he's looking at the religious leaders. He's comparing, bringing up this vineyard thing. They'd be very familiar with it. And he is showing them their hearts, just like Isaiah would do. Saying, Israel, wake up. You're screwing up. You're not doing well. Jesus here is doing the same thing with the religious leaders to show them where their hearts are at. And so really quick, um, before we jump in even more, I'm just going to do a little, little walkthrough of like who is who in this parable, okay? Because some of you might know this parable really well. Some of you might be like, this is the first time I'm hearing it, okay? And so first, uh, the owner of the vineyard, who is it? God. Awesome. Yes, it is God. Good job. Um, next one. Who is the uh, tenants of the vineyard? Who? Religious leaders, Pharisees. Yes, right. There we go. Good job. Um, who are the, um, who's the garden? Who's the vineyard? Who's that represent? God's people? Right? God's people. The, the, the tenants, the, the Pharisees, they're supposed to be taking care of the vineyard. They're supposed to be taking care of leading, guiding, and directing for God's people. Okay? Um, and then uh, who is, what's the next one? I think that's all I have. Who's the beloved son? Jesus. Right? And then, right, the servants coming to collect, those are the prophets. Those are the people that God has sent over and over and over again to correct the religious leaders, to correct the Israelites, to show them you are off track. Okay? And so what we see here is that the beginning of the story has already happened. God has sent men to correct his people, to show them that they're off track, that they're not following God well, that they need to get their act together. And then the second part, Jesus is prophesying his death once again. Right, he's saying that the son is going to come and you are going to kill him as well. 
the beloved son. But these men are so tied up in their traditions, their old ways of life, um, their rules, uh, they're, they're greedy. They, they, they love their power, they love their money, they love their status, and that's what all their energy and their mind and their heart is focused on, that they miss the Messiah who is right there standing in front of them. And then Jesus speaks says, right, the owner is going to come and kill the tenants. They're going to give it to another. And then he, he quotes uh, Psalms 118, 22 through 24. And he says, right, the, the stone the builders rejects has become the capstone. And in those days, right, the capstone, like cornerstone, is like the, the, the corner of a structure that holds the walls together. It's in a prominent place. So you'd be, it's very easy to see, right? It's the focal point. And Jesus is saying that, and in those days, like the builders, they would reject lots of stones until they found like the right one, the perfect one to put up there that hold together that would look good. And Jesus is saying, you, you rejected the right one. You rejected the perfect cornerstone. He's saying, you rejected me. You rejected the, the one that holds it all together, that holds us all together, that is the focal point of everything. And so they haven't figured it out yet. The Pharisees realize, right, that, man, they're talking about, Jesus is talking about us. That they're the tenants who don't care about the owner, who care only about them themselves. You can even go to say, like, do, do they really love, are they really loving God? Or are they loving the traditions that come with it? Are they loving their robes? Are they loving their status? Are they loving the, the traditions, the sacrifices, are doing like the right things? But I, I'm not sure where their hearts are at, right? But I, I do see that they love themselves they love their power, they love their wealth, and it is threatened by, they think it is threatened by Jesus. They think Jesus is coming for all of those things. And so like, oh man, we gotta figure this out. We have to get rid of him. And so what do they do? Right, Jesus comes to them and says like this, they, they realize that they are the tenants, that they're doing something wrong. Like he, he straight up shows them and tells them. And so they, they hear it, and do they, do they repent? Do they turn from him and say, Jesus, we're sorry, we forgive you, we're going to follow you, like, show us what to do? No. It's put right in their face. And they're like, we don't like that. How do we get rid of him? How do we arrest him so he stops this? And we're going to continue walking through, but as we do, I want you to continue to watch the religious leaders. Examine what they do. Examine who they are, what their agenda is, why they're doing what they're doing, where their hearts are at, where their minds are at, what they're putting all their strength towards this morning. Okay, so the next part says paying taxes to Caesar. So it says later they send some of the Pharisees and Herodians, it's interesting, we'll get to that, to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me Daenerys and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose portrait is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And Jesus said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. 
And so again, there's a lot we could say. There's a lot I could say on all of this. I'm just, just saying that. There's a lot we could dig into with all of this. There could be a sermon on each part that I go over. And so if you're like, Dan, you didn't say this or you didn't go over that, I know, I wish I could, but we'd be here until tonight and a lot of people would be not happy with me. Um, and so it's kind of like an overview just to get us a picture of where these people are at and what's going on and, and why this moment of the greatest commandment is so powerful, okay? But I will have a couple little lessons in the midst because there's just such good stuff in here. I had to talk a little bit about it. Um, and so remember like where we're at right now, we're in the temple, okay? And Jesus um, is having these interactions with the religious leaders. And what I believe is that they're, they're, they're happening back to back to back. Like they're in this moment and like they're, just, they're coming up to him one after another, okay? So Jesus is just getting peppered with questions, the Sanhedrin is just sending everybody after him. Right? The Sanhedrin is like this, this big group encompassing a lot of, of people that are religious rulers and political things and all that. Okay? And so they're throwing everything they have at him. And the Pharisees and the Herodians, this is interesting if you don't know this, um, do they get along? No. They're like polar opposite kinds of people. Okay? Do you guys know like the Avengers? Yeah, do you guys know Thanos? Right, like very opposites, do not have the same goals, do not have the same ideas, don't like each other. That's like them coming together, right? right? They, they, don't, they dislike Jesus so much, they're like, we'll put everything aside and we'll come to take him out. It just shows you where their hearts are at. That they're going to come together with an enemy. Someone they totally disagree with. The Pharisees, right, they, they are, are the Jewish people who want the Davidic kingdom to come back. They do not like the Roman rule. They're sick of it. They don't want to be under it. The Herodians, right, what, like, Herod's literally in their name, right, they're cool with it. They're Jewish people who, like, they're like, we're fine with it. We're going to fall under their, under their rule. We're going to do their thing. And so they're very at opposite ends with each other. But we see that these teams come together. And we see they're trying to butter Jesus up, Right? They're trying to, they're trying to, trying to flatter him. I did that for a Christian. Uh, that was a Sunday school lesson. Um, they're trying to butter Jesus up. They're trying to flatter him. Right? They're trying to get him to feel good, feel, oh, like, yeah, you're right, yeah, and try to, like, catch him off guard. They didn't do it, of course, because um, Jesus is way smarter than that with his infinite wisdom, and he probably saw it coming. And, and the cool thing is, well, kind of the sad thing and the cool thing is that these Pharisees and Herodians, they actually speak true words about Jesus Christ. They, they speak accurately and correctly, and to them, they're just saying it to like get them off guard, and it just shows you how blind they are, how misled they are, how they're focused on everything else except Jesus, because they literally describe him perfectly, but it doesn't affect their life at all. They don't care about it at all. But God sees it, right? Um, and he's like, I'm not, I'm not worried about what you guys have to say. And he, he answers them in a way that blows their mind. Okay? Because they talk about the taxes. And either way he answers it, it's like he answers one way. He's going to upset the people, right? Saying, you should pay taxes. That's going to make them mad. If he says, you shouldn't pay taxes, that's going to tick Rome off. And they're going to, you know, come down on him. And so either way, he's, he's not good. And so it's actually funny because what Jesus did to them in chapter 11 was like, hey, like, the baptism, like heaven or man, like kind of giving them an impossible answer. They're like, well, we don't know because they didn't want to deal with like the repercussions. They do this to Jesus. And does he say, I don't know? No. He says, well, I actually have an answer for you. And it amazes them. 
He says, this coin, uh, uh, give me right the coin. And the coin would have Caesar's face on it. And it would have his, his name on it or whatever, whoever was in power. And um, it, that coin is like the image bearer of Caesar. Okay? And Jesus is like, give to him. That's his. It has his face on it. It has his name on it. That's his property. He gets it. Okay? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. And so essentially, right, image bearer of Caesar. We are the image bearer of God. That coin was made in the likeness of Caesar. We are made in the likeness and the image of God. And so Caesar gets the coin. God gets your life. Okay, just a little nugget there. Caesar gets the coin. God gets your life. And I know in our, in our, in our society today, right, Republican, Democrat, uh, we don't like the people and what they're doing and the things that they say and, and all that kind of stuff and how they abuse the power. And I get that. But Jesus is saying, I'm in control. I've allowed things to be in place. I've allowed them to be in power. They're not there by accident. Um, they didn't do that and like overpower me like they're there and I'm working in the midst of it. And so unless it goes against my word, you fall under their authority because that's how I have it set up. And so give to Caesar the thing that is his, but I've created you. You are mine. I want you. And so you fall under their authority, but ultimately we are God's completely. Okay. And so, once again, people coming at Jesus, having their own things in their mind, trying to push their agenda. Next, we're moving right on through. Uh, marriage at the resurrection. This is an interesting one. So then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, come to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man... If a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. First one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died, leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising. Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Jacob. I, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. It's a bold statement to say, to say to somebody's face. You ever said that to somebody? You are badly mistaken, right? Maybe a kid. I don't know if I've done this to a lot of middle schoolers, but. <clears throat> and so we see that the Sadducees are up, right? It's their turn. We had the Pharisees, the Herodians, now the Sadducees. And honestly, these guys, they made the, the Pharisees look like conservatives, Okay, which is kind of wild to think, right? Um, but the Sadducees, they, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the angels or demons or like the spiritual realm, that kind of stuff. And um, they only believed in the Pentateuch. Pentateuch, okay, the first five books of the Bible. Right? They, they, that was the that was this inspired scripture to them. Everything else, it wasn't. Okay, and they asked Jesus a wild question. Who's going to be this lady's husband in heaven? Okay, we don't have a whole lot of time to, to get into that, but Jesus responds with, right, you don't know God's word and you don't know God's power. Okay, like Jesus is saying that heaven isn't just going to be a mere continuation of this life. 
right? Your logic and how you're thinking, it's flawed. It doesn't make sense. You can't put that with heaven. Heaven is a completely separate thing that we're going to experience and have. And so the fact that you're talking about marriage in this earthly concept, it doesn't, doesn't relate, doesn't go with it, okay? Um, and then he talks about, right, we're going to be like the angels. Sorry, this thing is like, I can't get it right. Be like the angels. And it's just something I just want to just camp out really quick is like, when we go to heaven, and I think it's important for us to, to know what Jesus means here, because people will use this and say, oh, when you die, you become an angel, right? You get your wings, right? But that's from A Wonderful Life, I think, that, that movie. Um, right? when, we, when, we, when we pass away, when we go um, to heaven, if you believe in Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection, uh, you don't become an angel. Your soul goes to heaven, and then when Jesus comes back and the resurrection happens, right, we get our physical bodies in heaven, and we're alive, we're actually more alive than we'll ever be. And we'll be like the angels, not become the angels. We'll be like the angels in the fact that we are face to face with God, honoring, praising Him, and glorifying Him in a way that we've never experienced before because we're here on earth. And heaven is a different glory and a different thing that we just don't even know about yet. We can't even wrap our minds around it. And so that's what He means. We'll be like the angels in that aspect. We're not gonna care about all that stuff, we're caring about God and being in his presence. And then we see um, God talks about, he says, God of the living, right? And, and it's just so cool because we talked about the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. That's what the Sadducees believe in. That's what they live their life by. And so God, I mean, Jesus goes in there and, and actually takes a piece of scripture from the scripture that they believe is inspired by God. He says, remember that time where Moses was at the bush and God speaks to him? And he says that I am the God of Abraham. Not I was the God of Abraham, or I had been the God of Abraham. I am right now the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, which means they are not dead, that they are alive with me in heaven right now, that there is an afterlife. Okay? And so, and then he writes, he's like, he uses their words, what they believe, to prove them wrong, which is amazing. And he says, You are badly mistaken. It's pretty upfront. That's pretty bold. And just for a moment, I just felt like the Lord was putting this on my heart to say this, um, maybe because this is an area in my life where I'm convicted and I'm challenged, but maybe it can challenge you this morning. Um, this entire interaction, Jesus, people are coming at Jesus, right? They're trying to prove him as a false teacher. They're trying to discredit his words discredit what he's doing. And these men that are doing it, they're not, they're they're very intelligent. They're very powerful. They know the scriptures. They spend their entire life studying it. They have great power in the the religious sect, great power in politics. Men that come from very different backgrounds, very different belief systems. They're all coming together and they're trying to prove Jesus' words as not good, as not truthful, as not right. sounds a lot to me like today. The world trying to discredit the truth of God and say that it's wrong, it's hurtful, it's hateful. But in the face of opposition, Jesus speaks the truth. He doesn't pull back. He doesn't retreat. 
He doesn't water it down to make it a little easier for those in attendance to be able to, to swallow it, to digest it. The Sadducees say something incorrect and he points them to the truth. The Pharisees and the Herodians say something that's off base and Jesus points them to the truth. Church, I believe, and this is me speaking to Dan right now, we need to stand on God's words and share it in complete truth and complete love. What I see a lot happen in our culture and in our, in our, in our lives these days is that we share it with complete love and then we share it with like complete, like, I mean like 50% truth. Sometimes we're nervous to give them the, the complete whole truth because we're not sure how they're going to react, how they're going to see it. We're scared of being labeled as, right, um, judgmental, hateful, closed-minded. But I just want to encourage you. And this is what I see Jesus doing here. We're supposed to follow Jesus' example. And this is one of the harder examples that we need to follow. Is to share the truth of God's word with love and with 100% truth. Don't hold back. Don't kind of just give them a little bit. Because what, what are we worried about? We're worried about what happens after we share them with what God's word says. We're, we're worried about like if they have in a belief and then we share what God's word tells us that, man, what they say next is like, they're, they're not going to like it. Or they're, gonna, they're not going to really accept it. They're going to push back. Um, they're going to go tell their friends that, man, don't talk to him because he's just going to shove the Bible down your throat. And what God shows is that we, or we are called to share the truth of God in love. And if you don't have love, then it, then it doesn't matter. It's got to be both together, both and. He's going to take care of the rest after that. Like we're not, we're not called to like figure it out what happens after. We're not called to cultivate their heart and like make them believe it or make them hear it or make them understand. We're supposed to share it, give it, trust that God has it under control after that, which is super hard because you got to believe his words to do that. You got to believe that he's going he's gonna to take care of their heart afterwards. He's going to take care of the situation after you give them the truth. And so that's just another little nugget. Um, like we can't control the outcome. God does. The Holy Spirit does. And so that's way better than we ever could. But it's super hard to do. But what we see Jesus do here, these guys come to him, and they give their strongest arguments they have. Right? The Pharisees and Herodians, right, talking about taxes. That's something they're both passionate about. Pharisees, like, we shouldn't do it. Herodians, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Like, this is something they have. And Jesus is like, nah, that's not right. I got something better. And then the Sadducees come to him and, like, talking about the resurrection, something that they, they, they believe very strongly about, one of their strongest things. And he's like, actually, no, you're, you're not right. You're wrong. And we see that they use their strongest arguments and they couldn't stand against Jesus' words. They couldn't stand against Jesus' words. After every encounter, it's either they went away or they were amazed. They had no rebuttal to what Jesus said. And the same thing is for our life. People can bring their greatest arguments that they want. They can bring it all. If you stand on God's word and share his truth, it will not come back void. Jesus gives us the ultimate example. Standing there confidently. I would love to see that.
And so now, we've walked through the Pharisees and the Herodians and the Sadducees. We've seen them trying to butter up Jesus. We've seen where their hearts are at, what they're spending their time, their efforts, and their energy on. And we see how that plays out in their actions. And now the greatest commandment comes out. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. There is, um, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. This guy gets it. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he had said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. It's like, boom, mic drop. Everyone's like, all right, man. So we see a scribe approach Jesus, a teacher of the law. And this guy's been listening. He's been there. The whole, he's been listening to what's going on, right? Hearing um, them speak to Jesus and Jesus giving them answers. And, and what, it seems that he comes with a different kind of approach in here in Mark and what we see written down. He doesn't seem to have an agenda. He doesn't seem to try to flatter Jesus, right? He comes, it seems, to, to want the truth, right? Like, what is the greatest commandment? Like, what am I supposed to be doing above all else? Because you see, back in those days, there were 613 commands they had to follow, right? It started with how many? Ten. They added how many? 603, right? I didn't need a calculator for that. Um, but they, they write so many. There's 365 don'ts, 248 do's. I use a calculator for that. Um, so there's a lot of things that they have to follow, that they, that, they, that, that they have to do every single day. And this guy's like, man, what's the big one? What's the most important one? That's a, a question commonly asked by people in those days. There's so many, but what's, what's number one? What's numero uno? And once again, Jesus gives them an answer straight from God's word comes from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And a lot of times I feel like we focus on the second part of what Jesus said, but the first part, man, is just equally as important. Because like what did the, the Israelites have a big problem with back in the Old Testament? Following other gods. Right, following into different other religions. And so this is something that they needed to hear, they needed to listen, they needed to follow. Like, There's only one true creator God. All the other ones are fake, are false, and will lead you to death. And so the Jewish people, they'd wake up every morning and they would say this, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Because they knew they needed that reminder. Because their ancestors struggled big time with that. And, I mean, we struggle big time with that. I could wake up every morning and I should probably say that. To remind myself there's nothing else above my God. Because even though I'm not worshiping Baal, there's other things in my life that I can put above him. And so this is a great reminder 
for the Jewish people, okay? And so the, the scribe hears, he says, hey, that's great. You are right on that, Jesus. Good job. All right, and then we see the second part. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And I sat and I spent time thinking of like, how do I break that up? How do I spend time on our heart and our soul, our mind and our strength? Um, and I didn't get anywhere. And I, what I believe Jesus is saying, and I'm going to be even more ambiguous, which might not help right now, but I hopefully it will in a second, is that like that's your heart, your soul, your mind, your, like that is all tied in together. All of those are connected to each other. They all work off each other. They all play off with each other. And so Jesus is saying, is what I believe is right, that every aspect of your being, everything that you are, everything that you have, your intellect, your emotions, your feelings, your strengths, like all of that, all that you are, your abilities, needs to go towards God. Every ounce of you, every existence should be loving God and glorifying him with your life. Right, and then he goes on to say that we should love our neighbors as ourselves. Again, that's from Leviticus 19.18. Again, him using God's words, his words. And so we just went through a lot. I could have camped in any of those places and gone through a whole lot. But I think what happens in this passage, right, with this teacher of the law coming and asking Jesus this question. I feel like that's a God-ordained moment. Because what, what, what happens is like everything that just went down, the entirety of this interaction, like what just happened in the temple, what Jesus did with the, the religious leaders back and forth, it makes Jesus' words that more impactful. Because we see the example they were given, they were giving us, how they're living their life, where all of their strength, all of their mind, all their efforts are going towards. Jesus is telling them they're missing the mark. These men's actions prove that they were not loving God with their hearts, with their soul, with their mind, with their strength. It actually make it, makes it very clear that they weren't loving God in any of those areas. If they would have loved God with all their heart, their soul, their mind, their strength, everything that they had within them, they wouldn't be in the temple right now trying to discredit Jesus, spending so much energy to trap him, using all their resources to bring him down. When you love God with all that you are, that comes through in your daily life, that comes through with your actions. If you're loving God in all those areas of your life, if you're focusing those areas of your life on God, maybe that's a little easier to understand, right? Focusing all of your emotions, your feelings, like what you think about, how you feel, like all of your strength, all of your energy. If you, if you are putting that towards God, every aspect of your life will change. How you see your life is going to change. How you... How you see yourself is going to change. How you see your family is going to change. Right, your, your outlook on your money and your power and your situation in life, it's all going to change. Because you're focused on God and his will. And if you're focused on God and his will, how you treat others will be different 
How you treat your family will be different. How you treat the people around you will be different because your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength is all connected to God. Your heart is connected to God's heart. Your mind is connected to his. Your soul is connected to him. And you're, you're doing everything through the strength of God and not your own. The religious leaders had all those things given to everything else. Their hearts, their soul, their minds, their strength was wrapped up in things that weren't from God, but were from man. And this kept them from truly experiencing God. It actually kept them from seeing Jesus. If all of who you are is not focused on your creator, on God, your sustainer, then you're going to miss who Jesus is, just like the Pharisees did. Jesus was right in front of them, but they couldn't see it. And so I ask you this. I want you to think about it. What is your heart, soul, mind, and strength being used on? What are you focusing all of yourself on on a daily basis? What are you giving yourself to on a daily basis? basis? What you spend your time on, what you give your heart to, what you give your mind to, what you give, what you put your, your energy into becomes who you are. There's a lot of things we can give ourselves to. And at the end of the day, we're giving ourselves to social media, to our work, to our jobs, to our family, to our careers, to our sports, forgiving all of us to them that we don't have any left for God. And what I find is that in our American culture today, man, we give all of ourself to our family. We give everything we have to our friends, to our work. And we're like, God, I, I have a little bit for you. And what God is saying is that I want all of you. And actually, if you give me all of you, if you give me all that you have, and you trust me that I'll supply for you, you're going to have more than enough over here. But so often you're like, I don't know if I trust those words. So I'm going to give them what I think I can give them and then try to give you what I have left. And what happens is we run dry, we run, run weary, and we actually end up really far from God. But if we stay close to him, focus your life around him, he will give you abundantly more in return. If you give him everything... You don't have to work that much harder at work. You don't have to bring it home. You don't have to, you know, just do all this extra. Right? If you give everything to God, your work life is going to be better. If you give everything to God, your marriage is going to be better. If you give everything to God, you're going to have a better attitude. If you give everything to God, whatever it is, is going to be better. It's not going to be easier necessarily. I'm going to say that, right? Not the prosperity gospel up here but it's going to be better because you're doing everything with God and through God, not of yourself. <clears throat> so, and I love that he says the grace commandment, and then he adds like the neighbor part right under it. And I think that's beautiful because if you're connected with God, you're going to be able to love your neighbors and the nations and the people you don't like and the people that get on your nerves way better than you could on your own. 
Because when you're connected to God, the kind of love that you can offer other people is from God. It's not from yourself. So it's a whole other level of love. So how do you do that? How do you love God with all that you have, all that you are? And how do you love your neighbors as yourself? I wish I had like a 10-point plan to give you. I don't. Um, but what I have is it's a, a starting point, like where to start. And some of you are probably really good at this. Um, but this is like, I'm going to be honest, it's super simple. It's not anything you probably haven't heard before. So this is just an encouragement and a reminder, okay? And actually, when we went to our serve trip, the, we went to Warren, Ohio, and, and served the community. The lesson was how to focus on God. Like, how do I focus my life on God? Well, if you're focused on God, man, you're going to be loving God, right? And so I feel like it's very similar. So the first thing that, that we need to do, and that's vital, is we need to fill your mind with God's words and store it in your heart. And at Serva, I said, read your Bible. And I feel like I did them a disservice because that's just not enough. Just reading your Bible, it's not loving God. You can read it and it, I mean, it can just go in one ear and out the other. You can read it and think, oh, that's cool. But you need to sit on it and realize, right, it's a holy moment. God's words coming at you. And you need to remember it. May it be filling your mind. May it be filling your heart. Because then if that's happening, right, you're going to be filled with more of God's words. And that means that pushes things out that shouldn't be there. That take up his, his room in your life. And then, right, if you're, if you're filling your mind with God's words and it seeps into your heart and it's storing there, then you can actually speak God's words. Which that is powerful. Speaking God's words, like, you get to, they get to touch your own lips. Which I feel like sometimes you're just kind of like, oh, like, well, I'll memorize the Bible verse. But like, you don't realize you're a mouthpiece for God now. And so that gets you connected with God because you're getting to know him. Right? If you don't know someone, can you love them deeply and intimately and personally? You got to know what they're about. Next, super other simple one. Talk to God every day. Talk to God every day. I know there's times I'm guilty of this, and I've, I have other people I've talked to are guilty of it. Like, man, I'll read my Bible, and I'll pray five days a week, but when it's Saturday and Sunday come, I just kind of need a break. Right? Like, you don't need a break from people you love. Right? Do you need a break from your kids? Maybe sometimes. Right? But... You're not going to take a weekend off from your kids because you love them. You want to be around them. You're not going to take a weekend off from, from your spouse or your friends or people that you love because you want to be with them. You desire to be with them. You're excited to be with them. The same thing should be with us and God. Going to him, allowing him to show us who he is, and then us going to him, right? Or him coming to us, right? It's him coming to us. And we get to go to him in prayer. And like think about, man, how well does God know you? So first off, he already knows you completely and everything about you. But if it was based off of you speaking to him, you reaching out to him, would he consider you a really close friend? Would he consider you a best friend? Would he consider you a part of his family? Or would it be like, ah, he's more of like an acquaintance. Whenever we like bump into each other, we'll say hi. 
Whenever that guy needs something, he'll reach out. How often do you talk to God? Talk to him every day. And if you're filling your mind with God's words and you're talking to God, it's going to change your life. And you're going to be more connected to him than you ever thought you could be. It's simple. It's not rocket science. So many times we get distracted and focus our lives on everything else. And then the last thing, I'm ending with this. Um, Examine your life and what is getting your best. When's the last time you examined your life? You, you took a step back and said, man, what am I giving my heart to every day? What am I giving my soul to? Like the, the, the deepest parts of who I am, what am I giving that to? What am I giving my mind to? What do I spend time thinking about? What consumes my mind? What am I filling my mind with? And what am I giving my strength to? What am I giving my energy and my willpower to? Whatever is taking the best of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength is what you're going to look like, just like the Pharisees. They looked really far from God. And I'm going to say a statement. It could be um, an exaggerated statement, but maybe it's just super truthful, so it stings. It stung, stung me a little bit when I think about it. And I think about it often. It's like there's a spectrum. And at the end, there's the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and then there's Jesus. And I think the thing about examining your life is like taking a step back so you can see that line, see that, that spectrum and be like, where am I at on it? Am I over here? Am I like leaning more towards looking like a Pharisee? Having my life focused on everything else but God, looking good, smelling good at church, but when I go home, man, like I don't even think about him. My coworkers don't even know that I love him. Or over here, right, following Jesus, right? Man, I don't look good or smell good at church, but man, I'm following God every single day. He is my best friend. He is my father, my creator, and I want more of him. Like, where are we at? But the cool thing is, wherever you're at on that spectrum, I, I, I fluctuate. Wherever you're at, wherever you're the furthest, you're like, man, you are a Pharisee. Or man, like, you're, you're tracking with Jesus and you're looking like him every day. No matter where you're at, both those people have to do the same thing every single day. You got to turn away from everything else and you got to look at Jesus and say, I need you. I need more of you. I can't do my life without you. So examine your life, step back and see, man, where am I at? And the best thing you can do is see it, realize it, and turn. Turn to him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your words. They're amazing. They're perfect. And they can teach us so much. I ask that we all got something today, even just a little bit. Or that they heard you, they didn't hear me up here just stumbling and stuttering, but God, that you gave them something they can take home. And I pray that as we go out into our life, into this world, God, can we love you? Can we be focused on you with everything that we are? Focused on you, loving you, allowing you to just, man, 
through us, be the most important part of our life, not just something we tag on. May our hearts, our souls, our mind, and our strength be focused on you. In your name, Jesus, amen. Standing here in your presence, in a grace so relentless, I am one by perfect love, wrapped within the arms of heaven, in a peace that lasts forever, sinking deep in mercy, see, I'm wise.
Heavenly Father, we again thank you for this time that we had together. As we go out this week, as we live our life, may what we do and what we say and what we are be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear, God. I pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Have an awesome Sunday, church. God bless you.